Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Um, so I was, I was praying about what to preach to a pretty empty building and to a camera. I've never done live streams before. I've never done any of this. So this is the first for me. We've been talking about doing a live stream for the church, and this whole situation just kind of forced us to do it. I, I saw a meme the other day that said, about how all these pastors have been mocking Facebook, and I was one of them, and now we are turning to it uh, in our time of crisis. So uh, I, I thank you for joining in with us today as we, we celebrate Sunday, as we celebrate God's goodness and his rule and reign in the midst of this uh, with us this morning. Um, all of a sudden, we're all televangelists, so this is weird for us. So, But I, I'm really thankful that God's word is still, still good and still fun to preach, and uh, I'm thankful that you're with us, and we have a few people that I can look to uh, for some feedback. I'm a feedback kind of guy. I like a little amen. So if you're watching us online, you can text or whatever it is, uh, amen. Give a thumbs up if you like something. <laughs> if you don't, save that comment for Pastor Ben Hailstone. You can message his Facebook, and he will respond to that. But um, I was praying, what, what should we talk about? And um, if we're honest, this, this time has really shifted all of our plans. Um, I'm a person, my wife has a big calendar on our wall in our kitchen that has all the details of our month. Like what, and every day is usually full with all these activities and doctor's appointments and home group meetings and, and all these connections that are happening. And now our schedule's kind of open. It's like, what do we do? And um, we, we tend to be people, like at least my family, we like to make plans. We like to have things that we're looking forward to and things that we're gonna do and, and things that excite us. And, and we had to change all that. For my family, we were going to celebrate my daughter's birthday at Great Wolf Lodge, and that's canceled, and we're getting a refund for that. Uh, me and my best friend who lives in California, he was planning on flying out to New York City. We were going to hang out in New York City, see a Yankees game, and then we we're going to drive to Boston, see a Red Sox game, and that is canceled right now. So like all of our plans are kind of canceled, and, and I know those things kind of sound trivial because they really are in the grand scheme of things. There's serious stuff, life and death happening right now. But this, is, this whole virus has thrown a, a big mess into our plans. And I think even as a church, even as people of God who are going after his kingdom, his domain, we tend to hear his promises and then we have a plan of what that's going to look like in our life. We, we create an agenda of how God's going to follow through with his promise. And even this situation reminds us that he still is good and his promises and his fulfillment of those promises often look different than what we think they will look like. Um, so let me explain a little bit. As I was praying through what should I teach these next few weeks, um, I, I felt two passages pop up into my heart uh, before we go into Palm Sunday and Easter. And the first, they both have to do with God and his church and what the church's position should be in all of this and as we approach life together uh, what does it look like for God to build his kingdom and how should the church respond and, and stay in love so this week we're going to look at Matthew 16 this is one of my favorite passages of all time um, we've kind of made it a joke that if I could preach a text this is the one that I would preach any moment and I I felt like the Lord kept calling me back to this passage with a different perspective a different look today so if you've been a part of City Lights and you've heard me talk about some of the details of this passage uh, just 
dig into it again because there's some new things I want to look at. If you've never heard this, when I first began to understand some of the background of this text, it changed my view. It changed the way I view God, the way I view the Lordship of Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning just to dig in and be ready for something of what God would want to say to his church. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Like we, we, uh, we like to make plans. We like to have activities. And, and Jesus, in this text, takes his disciples on basically a field trip. I don't know if you remember field trips um, and kind of wondering where are we going and why are we going there. Um, and I take my kids on little trips all the time. And in the back, it's the I, are we there yet thing. Always, are we there yet? How long till we're there? What are we going to do there? What does the day look like? And I can kind of just imagine Jesus and his disciples the same conversation because Jesus takes his disciples on a 25-mile road trip and it's not in a car. They're walking. So um, I took my daughter for a two-mile walk the other day and she complained almost half the time. So I can't imagine a 25-mile walk just for Jesus and his disciples going somewhere and he wants to teach them a lesson. But if you would look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16, Uh, Starting in verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hang on to that the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. We're going to pause there for a few minutes. And there's so much in this text that I could really expound on in past sermons. I have looked at different portions of this. But today I want to look at a few things together. So he takes them on this road trip from where they were to the Caesarea Philippi. And a few things you got to understand about Caesarea Philippi is at that time, it was kind of like the financial district of the area. It was a, a, a... a city named after Caesar in this time to dedicate to the lordship of Caesar that they would declare that he is Lord and that they actually had other sayings about him being a son of God. And so there's this town that's all about finance, all about money, and they would print these coins with Caesar's face on it. And it was all about him and his worship. And in fact, there was no Jewish people in the area. It was all Greek. It was, it was all Roman. It was all pagan. It was not Jewish place at all. And Jesus takes them on a 25-mile road trip to a place that's basically like Wall Street, but really, really, really sinful and broken. And so he gets to the spot, and the, he begins to ask questions about who he is. And there's one other thing you should know about Caesarea Philippi. And the most famous image, the most famous thing known in that area other than the finances and other than the new name dedicated to Caesar and, uh, and all that, <clears throat> is that there was a place called the Grotto of Pan. And this grotto would be like the first image that pops in your head when you think of that area. And so Jesus takes him to the Grotto of Pan, in my opinion. Um, and here at the Grotto of Pan, what happens is there's generations, decades of worship of the god Pan and other deities, other different pagan images for fertility. And, and this grotto was this like a a cave in a cliff 
with a spring of water that came out around this flattened rock formation where people would stand and worship the God, and this spring would flow. And what would happen at the Grotto of Pan is there was, this is prior to Jesus' day, there would be human sacrifices, sexual practices, uh, and sexual worship that would happen there. And so this is a pagan-heavy area, the Grotto of Pan. So you have Caesar and that view and the financial rule and reign, and you have pagan uh, worship of Pan and human sacrifices and, and sexual practices happening there. And Jesus takes them to this place, and he says, who am I? What, what, who, who do you think that I am? Who does everybody else say that I am? But more importantly, who do you think I am? And, and this is where Peter has this revelation. And Jesus says, it's not from you, Peter. It's from the Father. Peter has this revelation that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That's who he is. And so when Peter says that, he's actually saying, it's not Caesar who's the Messiah. It's not Caesar who is the son of a God. It is you, the Messiah. It is you who are the Lord. You are the one in control. You are the one ruling and reigning. You are the one from heaven. That's who you are. Peter gets a revelation in the midst of the rest of the culture that says Caesar is Lord, or even these other Pan, this other God is some kind of Lord, some kind of ruler, the God of fertility, the God of life. Peter says, no, you are the son of the living God. Like, that's who you are. What, if you look in that area, the Grotto of Pan, the nickname for that cave was a gate of hell, the gates of Hades. And they were standing on a flat rock where they would perform these sacrifices and rituals. And so it's in that spot that Jesus takes them to this place of, of all kinds of other worship and brokenness. He takes a bunch of Jewish disciples and says, who am I? And they declare that he is the Lord. He is the one ruling and reigning. And Jesus says, this is a revelation from the Father that in this place of brokenness, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he gives them authority. I, I, want you, I want you to see something here. Jesus declares in the midst of the most broken, non-Jewish, non-worshipping of Yahweh place that he can think of, he declares that this is the space, this is a space that I will build my church and nothing can stop it. To this day, I love the fact that there's a plaque that says at Caesarea Philippi, so if you're watching online, you can pull up a little screen on the side and Google it, Caesarea Philippi, you'll see the Grotto of Pan, and it's still there today, and today there's a, a plaque that says, on, the, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that. Jesus says I can establish my church in anything, any place, any place of brokenness, and he says I'll do it here. He wants to declare his lordship. And, and so what I, want, I don't want to hang up on what I usually would hang up on there, what I would dig into there about how in the most broken places of our life, God is still good and he will build his church anywhere in any broken situation, in any place of darkness, in any place of discouragement or lack of hope. He is still God and he will build his church anywhere anywhere. And so that needs to stretch our, our view of what God can do. It needs to expand our, our perspective of God's influence, of his greatness, and of his, him establishing the church. It's not up to me and you to establish the church. It's his church that he will build in the midst of brokenness. And I love that. But I want you to see something here. So Peter gets this revelation from God, and Jesus says, blessed are you. On this rock, I'll build the church, and the gates of hell won't pre prevail against it. 
He gets this revelation, and then I want you to see the next passage, the very next section of verses here. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So a lot of, we, we know this passage, and it's a really interesting set of verses here. In one part of the text, we see Jesus fully affirm Peter and what he has declared. And, and I think the rock is not Peter himself, because Peter is a person, and God blessed him, and he used him to build the church. But I think the rock is the revelation that he got from the Father, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is what the church is built on. It's built on the revelation of Jesus. It's not built on an individual other than Jesus. And so Peter gets this revelation and he's probably feeling really good about himself. Honestly, it's Peter. We know, we know the story of Peter. He's probably feeling really amped up. And then the very next text that we see, Jesus says this, hey, I've shown you that I'm victorious. Look at the last passage. I will build my church. Nothing will prevail. I am the son of the living God. That's who I am. I'm going to suffer I'm going to die, and I'll be raised again. Just put yourself in Peter's spot. You just said you're victorious, and you're going to build your, your kingdom. You're going to build your church. Now you're telling me you're going to suffer and die. Now, now you're telling me that, that it's all going to fall apart. All the vision, all the revelation that I had of you now doesn't make sense because all I can see is suffering and death. And Peter pulls Jesus aside as if he's got, he, he, Jesus just said that he heard from the Father. So Peter's probably feeling he can hear from the Father again. And he pulls Jesus aside and said, this isn't the plan. This isn't the work. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because your perspective, your mind isn't on what the God's doing. It's on what you want to do, Peter. He's not actually calling Peter Satan. He's calling that heart, that revelation that would try to control things that would try to manipulate the situation and make things work according to the human's perspective that is the mindset of hell that is the mindset of satan that he would want us to step pull things away from the lordship of christ and hold on to the lordship for ourselves and so in one minute he's being he, he's understanding jesus is victorious and the next he sees death and destruction and he's confused by this what i what i want you guys to see this morning is that god is still king and the journey to his lordship and for us in his rule and reign doesn't always look like what we think it does. God gives us a, a vision. He gives us a prophetic word. He gives us a, a part of the plans for our lives or plans for his church. And he declares that it is solid, that it's going to be victorious, that his kingdom is victorious. And then he talks about suffering and brokenness. And we're like, this doesn't make sense. How can this fit together? How, how can this work out? G Jesus says, you're missing you're missing the point, Peter. I, I think it's really interesting about this passage. Not only does Peter kind of miss the point, but he misses one thing that Jesus says. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised. He says that in this passage. Jesus told them he would be raised. And what does Peter hang up on? This isn't the plan. Like, like if Peter got hung up, if he got stuck, if he focused in Jesus, Jesus is going to beat death, I think Peter would have had a very different attitude to this whole thing. No, no Jesus is going to be victorious because he just said he's going to beat death. But we don't, get, we don't hang up on that. 
when God gives us a promise, we, we see this, this thing for our lives or for the church or for, the, for what we are called to do in, in, the, in the world. And then when we encounter suffering, we forget about the resurrection that was promised to us. Does that make sense? If, we, if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, then there's a resurrection promised for us. There is a victory promised for us. There is a victory promised for the church. There's a victory for the earth promised to us. And we get stuck with suffering or, or plans are, are messed up and, and everything we thought was going to happen is broken. Like as a church, we are in a really unique time. Like this is our 10th year coming up. And we were planning on using this Sunday and next Sunday to, to look at some relaunching ideas and to look through the book of Nehemiah of how we can work together to go after what God's promised for this season. Uh, over the last few weeks, our church has filled up and we've had to put more chairs in. And it's like God's bringing his promises. And this is what it's going to look like. This is what City Lights Church is going to look like. And then all of a sudden, we got 10 people in this room and I'm talking to a camera. This is not my plan. And, and that's okay. But I do know that he will build his church in the most broken of places, in the most dark places. And a part of that journey is walking through suffering. I'm not saying this is suffering. Like, we're, we're pretty privileged. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. Uh, what I'm saying is we don't know the path. What we do know, the king. We do know the Messiah. We have the revelation that he will build his church and nothing will come against it. Th- this morning... As I, as I look through this text briefly, and, and next week I'm really excited um, where we're going to go, we have to understand that the church has a sure foundation on Christ, and that this situation right now, that the coronavirus or the loss of your job, sickness in your house, uh, disruption of your plans, uh, disruption from community, this is not how it ends. This is not the end of things. We see scriptures promise that he will build his church and all the nations will hear and he will come and make all things new. We don't have any picture that he's going to wipe us all out with some plague. Um, we, we don't have that at all. What we do see is that he will build his church. The gospel will be proclaimed that his plan is to prosper the church and then he will come and make all things new and he will rule and reign forever. Like this is, this is the, the, we have to know that this is not the end. Does that make sense? Like, this is not the full picture. And when we encounter disruption, when we encounter suffering, how, what do we hang on to? Do we hang on to the promises that God has already spoken, or do we hang on to our feelings of how this should work out? And where are we putting our, where are we putting our trust in this season? God is really, really good. I want to encourage you that you serve a good, good father, and he will receive his glory, and he has great plans for us. His kingdom will be built. He's promised it would happen. Worship team, would you guys come forward? We're going we're gonna to sing another song of worship here to close out in a minute. See, we, um, when we look at Scripture, we have promises given to us, and sometimes we don't see how the promises fit with other parts. Like if you look at the promise of the Messiah, and you see that he was a suffering servant, and then we also saw this prophetic declaration that there would be a messianic king. And nobody understood until Christ came and fulfilled it how the suffering servant was also the messianic king and ruler. 
How can you suffer and die and, and, and die in a place and carry the weight of sin and still be the God, pure, spotless, victorious? Like, how do those things work together? I think there's a lot of interesting things. Like, the, God has given us, as Christians, he's called us ambassadors, and we just looked at as a church through John, the countless places where John tells us that Jesus has said to us that whatever we pray according to the Father, our heart's position toward heaven, that it will happen. So we have this, this, this position of power to move mountains. It says, you speak to mountains and it will move. We have this position of authority, and yet also in the same Gospels, in the same New Testament, we see the church going through suffering. And Jesus says, I'm giving you authority and you're going to suffer. You see, Paul is told, hey, you, you are giving all this authority. I've got a mission for you. And we see all awesome things happen through Paul. And we also see a ton of suffering happen through Paul. And, and I would encourage you that, that there's this, these two worlds that clash in the, in the world today and in the church, that we are on this journey of victory, that God's got promises for us, and we're also on this journey through a lot of suffering and confusion where things don't go the way we planned, and that's good. I can put my plans at his feet and say, God, I need you. I, I need you, Jesus because it's, it's only in your strength that we get through this. It's only with my perspective on you that we get through whatever the season is or whatever the brokenness is. It's only in you who gives me a new job. It's only you who feeds my family. It's only you who keeps me healthy. It's only you who builds your church. It's only you. I would encourage you, if you are not a part of our church family, if you're not a follower of Christ, that this is a great time for you to place your trust in Christ, for you to lay down your authority because you really can't control anything anyway. And say, Jesus, I trust your authority, that you are victorious, that you rule and reign, and we live in this tension where evil is still doing evil things, and sickness and disease have come to disrupt. But yet, I love the fact that Scripture says that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is not the author of death, disease, and destruction. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It is him who has come to give life and life abundantly. But in this weird overlap of the enemy bringing death, the Father is speaking life, and we have to wrestle with this tension and give all authority to him and put our trust in him. So I would encourage you this morning, if you've never placed faith in Christ, today is a great day to do so because he's the only one in control. He's the only good, perfect father who knows the end. He knows the beginning. He's got it all in his hands. So I encourage you to do that. And church, I encourage you in this season to worship. Let, let worship become the reality in the midst of disruption. We're going to spend a few minutes just recognizing our need for him, our need for him to be Lord, for him to be the Messiah. Let's worship together. Thank you.